You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Our world is filled with representatives. Our world is filled with representatives. We have political representatives in the government who work for the improvement of our civic life, sometimes. We have legal representatives in the courts who help us to navigate law code that we cannot manage on our own. In certain vocations, there are union representatives defending the interests of their fellow employees. If you walk into a well-managed store, a representative may greet you to ask you how they can help you to find what it is that you're looking for. If a major appliance breaks down in your home, a retailer may send a representative to come on out and help you to fix what you cannot fix on your own. There's even lots of talk about the importance of representation in the media because we all want to be truthfully and holistically represented on the screen. Representation is all around us, and we recognize its legitimacy and importance every day. You do it without even thinking about it. It's subconscious at this point. We all recognize that we need representation. But when it comes to spirituality, there's often a strange disregard or ignorance of the need for representation. According to Scripture... We need representation in God's government to work for the improvement of our life together. We need legal representation to help us to navigate God's holy law because we cannot navigate it on our own. We need a union representative to defend our interests as it relates to God's covenant. We need a representative to lead us to the things that we're looking for that we cannot find on our own. We need a representative to come and do repairs on our lives in our community that we cannot accomplish on our own. We need to speak with a representative when things are not right with our account before God. We need representation that will truthfully, holistically, and graciously represent us before the view of God Almighty. This world needs representation. Each one of you out there today need representation before God. And so today, as we continue through our series, we're going to see that the establishment of the priesthood is one of salvation's greatest hits. We've been working through a series called Salvation's Greatest Hits, Volume 1, And we've been going through major scenes throughout the story of the Old Testament that help to point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ and that help us to understand the way that spirituality ought to work in the Christian life. And today we come to priesthood. It's without question one of salvation's greatest hits. But we need to get into it. This is one of those passages that if you were were reading through it in your Bible reading plan, you would probably go through it fast. Like you would just breeze through it. Okay, okay, they're making something here. 
these are instructions for making something. But it's so rich. It is so dense with redemptive importance for us. So as we get into this text, we're going to cover it through two points today. We're going to see the place of the priest and the grace of the priest. We're going to see the place of the priest and the grace of the priest. So let's look at our first point where we see the place of the priest. Now, last week, if you weren't with us, we covered the amazing story of the Exodus, the amazing true story of the Exodus, where God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. But the thing is, God didn't just want to liberate his people. He wanted to form their lives and he wanted to eventually root them in the promised land. He wanted to do more with his people. He wanted to establish a holy nation and eventually bring them to a place where they not only had flourishing in their lives, but their flourishing resulted in the flourishing of their neighbors. He wanted them to enjoy this. But, at, but in between liberation and their arrival at the promised land, the Lord created some formative institutions to shape the kind of people that Israel would become. He wanted to form his people, so he gives them these really formative institutions. He gave them his law, Torah, which simply means, law is actually an unfortunate translation of the Hebrew word Torah. It actually means the way, the pathway. It's, it's God's guidance for life. This is the way you walk. He gave them his law to regulate their community according to covenant love. And he gave them directions for the tabernacle because the Lord desired to be present with his community. The Lord gave them instructions for building the tabernacle right in the center of their camp. And each of the 12 tribes would be stationed around the tabernacle. In other words, God wanted to live in the midst of his people. He wanted to be intimate with his people. And so he said, I want you to build my house my tent right in the center so there'll be no question who's in the center of this community so when we come to exodus 28 we're coming to the central role in the central institution of israel the central institution of israel was the tabernacle and in exodus 28 we get to the central role in that central institution. And that central role is the priesthood. It's the priesthood. There was nobody in Israel more important than the priest. If you want to get a sense of the ancient role of a priest, you only need to think about the modern world of representatives that we live in every day. When we hear priesthood, we often hear it as some kind of ancient thing that people, maybe in other parts of the world who are, you know, not as modernized as we are, they may have priests. We may think of the ancient kind of expression of priests, but unless you grew up Catholic or Anglican or Eastern Orthodox, the language of priesthood may sound kind of foreign to you. But representation is one of the best ways to think about what a priest is and what a priest does. 
It's not just a thing of the past. It's very much a thing of the present that we need. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many letters you have behind your name. We all need a priest. We all need representation. Priests were God's established representatives who enabled bad people in bad situations to commune with a good God for his good purposes. That's what priests did. They were in the center, so to speak, in between alienated parties. And the alienated parties were God and humanity. And the reason why you need a representative is because you cannot deal face-to-face with a holy God as a sinful person. You can't have immediate interaction. That's like fire having immediate interaction with cotton. It will be consumed because of the very nature of the things we're dealing with. The very nature of God is holy. And now, after the fall, after Genesis 3, our very nature is shot through with sin. How can you bring those two back into contact without some intermediary? Everyone needs a priest. We need a priest. Everybody in Israel knew the priesthood to be central to the life of the community because their work was representation. Representing God to humanity and representing humanity to God. But we need to slow down and think for a minute on this language of representation. Representation. You see, before the fall, humanity was presentable before the Lord. And God presented himself to humanity in perfect holiness and beauty. There was no interruption in the communion, no interruption in the fellowship. God used to commune directly with his people. Adam and Eve enjoyed that. But after the fall, everything gets screwed up. And here's what gets screwed up specifically. Humanity needs to be represented to God as sinless and blameless and spotless. That's the only way there could be any communion. But here's the other thing. Humanity needed God to be represented to them because all of our ideas of God after the fall started to get squirrely. We started to think the wrong things about God. We started to mischaracterize the Lord. And this changed the way that we related to God, such that most religious expressions at the time were different ways of trying to climb up to God. To the point that when we get to the Tower of Babel, where they're trying to build a tower to reach the heavens, the scriptures make a point of saying that God came down to judge, and he scattered them. We need God to be represented to us because of the impact of our culture on the way that we think about God, because of the impact of our own stories of origin, depending on the family you came up in, you may have gotten a misdirected understanding of who God is. I want you to think about it. Think about the ways in which people need God to be represented to them. 
Think about the way that Israel needed God to be represented to them. They were in Egypt for 430 years. And the way that the Egyptians related to God or related to the divine began to have an influence on them. They started to get this climbing up to God notion. They started to get this idea of God as capricious. They had this idea of many gods out there, not just the one true and living God. They needed God to be represented to them as the God of grace, as the covenant-keeping God, as the promise-keeping God. And many of us need God to be represented to us. Do you view God as the cosmic killjoy who's just out there to lay all these rules on you and to make your life miserable so that you can stand in, in, in better relationship to him? Do you view God as the one who's kind of sitting on the cart, dangling the carrot of blessing before you? When the praises go up, the blessings come down. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, you almost had it. You almost had it. Is that how you view God with his blessings, with his peace, with his grace in your life? Is that how you view God? Do you view God as boss? As the heavenly boss who is just out to get productivity. He doesn't really care about you as long as he can get the work out of you. Do you view God as cosmic law enforcement? Who's ready to take you out whenever he catches you doing misdeeds? We need to have God represented to us. A misunderstood and misrepresented God was represented in truth and grace to his people by the priest. By the priest. What we will end up seeing in the priesthood is that nobody in Israel was beyond the need of priestly ministry. And nobody in Israel was, was beyond the reach of the priestly ministry. Everybody needed to come to the priest, and everybody was welcome to come to the priest. How do we know that? Because if you go to that book that you skip over in your Bible reading plan called Leviticus, you will find that there's this amazing accessibility to God. You read through all that stuff, and with your modern Western American ears, you hear barrier. Israel didn't hear barrier. They heard accessibility. Because if you were a person of means in Israel, you could present your bull as an offering to the Lord. But if you were poor, if you didn't have anything, you could bring little birds as your offering. Because God didn't want anyone to be excluded on the basis of socioeconomic status. He wanted all of his people to be able to gain access to his presence to get the ministry of the priest. There is accessibility on God's terms. The people of Israel knew that the Lord, in his law, could condemn the best of them. But the priest in his ministry could redeem the worst of them. It was good news. It's no accident that the same God who called his people to be a kingdom of priests established a priesthood in the center of their community to fix firmly in their minds what it is that a priest does and the way they were to relate to the world. Think about that. In Exodus 19, God calls his people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his treasured possession, a shegolah, 
And then he places the priesthood in the very center so that they were always reminded of who they were to be in relationship to their neighbors. They were supposed to be a priestly people. They saw what a priest does every day. This was the place of a priest central to the life of God's people. The, the, the gatekeeper, the mediator, as it were, in between God and humanity. The temple was supposed to be the place where heaven and earth met. And mediating that connection between heaven and earth was the priest. This is the place of the priest. But we need to see the grace of the priest, which brings us to our second point, the grace of the priest. Now, with all of this background in mind, chapter 28 shows us the identity and the ministry of the priests by using these descriptions of their clothing. We can tell what many vocations involve by the clothing that those people have to wear. Doctors wear white coats. Uh, judges wear robes. Pastors wear robes. Many different vocations have a uniform that matches with the work that they're doing. Well, in a similar way in this passage, the reason why there is such detailed description of the, the clothing of the priest is to help you to understand what it is that a priest does. It's beautiful. There's such symmetry here. You'll notice in verse 2 that the Lord says that they are to make these garbs for the priests for glory and for beauty. And what is important is this. I want you to see this. This is, this is, this is rich. If you're reading through the Exodus, what you will notice is that the same materials that were used in the building of the tabernacle are now used for the clothing of the priest. Which leads us to see that the priest was like the, a tabernacle in miniature. The priest was the place where God's spirit dwelled, where God's glory was poured out as he did his ministry. It was a shorthand version for God's dwelling place among his people. And when you see the priest, he is the dwelling place of God in miniature. But there's three images that I want to pull out that are drawn from the clothing of the priest. And I want, I want us to get into this text, right? Because these three images will represent the Lord to you. It will represent him to you. Verses 9 through 12 say, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. The first way that the priestly garments represent the Lord to you is you see that the people were on the priest's shoulders. 
He lifts them before the Lord in prayer. He carries them to the Father in prayer, not in general, but by name. He carries them to the Lord and makes requests on their behalf. He makes requests for all of Israel by name. He prays and intercedes for them in the presence of the Lord. And you know why the Lord gives this word to Israel about the priestly garments? Because not only is the priest remembering the names of the the sons of Israel before the Lord, but he gives it in his text so that Israel will remember that their priest is remembering them before the Lord. They got representation in the holy place. He was going to speak their name before the Lord, making requests. They knew that their names had representation in the holy place, And it's onyx stones that are engraved. And you know why it tells us that the names are engraved? It tells you that those names cannot be erased. They will be brought into the presence of God and remembered before him. Nothing that they did could erase their name. No failures that they committed could erase their name. There was no deficiency in them that would cause the priest to forget their name before the Lord. Their name was graven in that onyx stone with permanence. That's all right. That's all right, y'all. Because we're going somewhere with this. We're going somewhere with this. All of Israel remembered that the priest was remembering them, carrying them on his shoulders into the presence of God to be prayed for. But look at verses 28 through 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Tumim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Not only were the people carried on the priest's shoulders in prayer, but the people were carried on the priest's heart. He carried their covenantal obligations and their covenantal claims for mercy on his heart before the Lord, so that by virtue of the atoning sacrifice, they would stand guiltless before the Lord in the presence of God. And what you notice in the text is that each of the names, they're not only carried on the onyx on the shoulders, they're carried in the breastpiece, and it's rows of precious gems. And on each of those gems is the name of one of the tribes of Israel. Knowing that they are carried on the heart of the priest before the Lord, claiming their covenant obligations and claiming their covenant privileges as their priest. They were on his heart. They 
they would be held guiltless. Why does it matter that they were on the heart of the priest? Because they knew that as a result of the priestly ministry, they would stand guiltless before God, though they were sinners. They would stand guiltless before him. This God would make himself approachable without compromising his holiness. So we see that the people are on the priest's shoulders and the people are on the priest's heart. But let's look at the next section, verses 36 through 38. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a blue, a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, look at the picture. The people are carried on the priest's shoulders. The people are carried on the priest's heart. So the, the, the people are on the priest's shoulders the people are on the priest's heart, but holiness is on the priest's mind. In other words, what we're being told in this passage is that the priest was to wear this turban with a gold plate on it that says holy to the Lord. And the ministry that he conducted was meant to make the busted and broken gifts of the people. It was meant to make their bad motivations in their offerings. He was supposed to do the work that would allow those those offerings would be acceptable before God. They didn't have to be perfect in their service to God because the priest took care of that. He was their holy representative. His person was holy. His ministry was holy, and he made all of Israel's gifts and works holy and acceptable before the Lord. Do you see where it's all going? You see where it's all going? When we get to the pages of the New Testament, we see echoes in the life of Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews is, is singular in his focus and in his clarity around priesthood. And this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 8. He tells us that we now have a better high priest than what Israel could get a hold of. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 2 say this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Do you see what this text means for us? Jesus is our representative by design. The priesthood in all of its workings and functions and all of the garbs are trying to pave the way for you to understand what it is that Jesus has done for us and who it is that Jesus continues to be for us in the gospel. It's all meant to grow forward and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. The good news of our passage for today, family is that Jesus is our high priest who carries us on his shoulders. He ever lives to intercede for us. In Jesus Christ, the stones 
It got bigger, y'all. Because it's not just uh, Judah, Issachar, Asher, Dan, Naphtali. It's not just the sons of Israel who are on those onyx stones now, who are being carried into the very presence of God. It's Erwin and Kim and Ashley and Christy and all of you who know Christ as your Savior. He carries your name not into this makeshift expression, the tabernacle, but into the very holy presence of God. Into the, the tent that was not made with human hands. A way of expressing heaven itself. Can you even fathom the thought that your name is echoing in the very throne room of God? What a profound thought for us to carry into our lives. It is you who are on his shoulders. He represents you to the Father. He bears you up and prays perfectly for you. And do you know what he's praying? Do you know what the scriptures tell us about what God is praying for us, what Christ is praying for us in heaven as our great high priest? There is no specific passage that tells us what Jesus is praying for us. But we can take a look at the earthly prayers of Jesus to get a sense of just what it is that your great high priest is praying for you. I recall a section of scripture where there was a family that was in the middle of a funeral. In John 11, Mary and Martha lost their brother. He died and they called for Jesus, but Jesus intentionally waited. And then he showed up. And when he showed up in the midst of all the mourners, Lazarus had already been dead for days. And Jesus wept with these dear friends. But then he stepped up to the tomb and he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And he prays this prayer out loud so that everyone can hear him. And then he steps up to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes hopping out, still wrapped in his grave clothes. Now, what can we gather from that? We can gather that your great high priest is praying resurrection life and resurrection hope and resurrection power into your life. That's what he wants for you. You better believe he is praying resurrection power into you for the sins you're struggling with. He's praying resurrection life into you when you're tempted to want to take that road back to Egypt. He's praying that the resurrection hope will get a hold of you. What's he praying? We can look at John 17 and see that he's not just praying for us individually. He's praying for us as an entire body that we would be one, even as Christ and the Father are one, that we would be united in truth and his word is truth that we would be sanctified, set apart for the glory of his name. He's praying for us. What's he praying? He's praying still, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As you go through the day and you compile sins that are so numerous that you don't even know all of them, you can't even name all of them, you can't even count all of them, as you continue to accrue sins, your great high priest continues to pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but on the virtues of who I am, on the virtues of what I have done, remember what I did to atone for that sin and forgive them, Father. 
Jesus is praying for you like he prayed for Peter. When the enemy wants to sift you like wheat, he prays that your faith will not fail. Your great high priest is praying for you. He carries you on his shoulders by name. You know, the government knows you by your social security number. You know that the state, or what we hope will one day be a state, knows you by your driver's license number. The bank knows you by your account number. The postal service knows you by your house number. But the great high priest knows you by name. And he calls out your name in the very throne room of God. Christ is praying for us even when we're negligent in our prayer life. When you don't know what to pray for yourself. When you don't know how to ask for the right kind of protection. When you don't even know the kinds of enemies that stalk you from moment to moment. He's praying against the enemy. He's praying for protection you didn't even know you need. He's praying for blessing upon your life that you didn't even know that you needed. Your great high priest prays for you. Old school cat Robert Murray McShane said this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. If you could hear his prayers for you, he carries us on his shoulders, remembering us in prayer, but he also carries us on his heart, y'all. I don't know what you think of God today, but I want you to see this representation of God that scripture gives us, that he is the kind of God who bears you on his heart. He bears you on his heart. He cares for you and loves you. You may feel lost and disoriented today. You may feel like you slipped off the radar, but this text lets you know exactly where you are. You're on the great high priest's heart. And that's good news. And it's not just in the sense of love that you're on his heart, but you're on his heart as he represents you in the holy place where he is presenting the fulfillment of your covenant obligations through his life, but he's also pressing covenant claims on your behalf. Based upon the covenant promises and the covenant faithfulness of the Father, Jesus says, you promised this. To our people, Father, would you pour it out? Would you give it to them? He's praying the benefits of the covenant over your life and making, he's pressing those claims. And the powerful thing that Hebrews tells us is that we have an even better priesthood than Israel had. Because the, the, priest, the priestly ministry only lasted as long as the life of the priest. And once the priest died, his priestly ministry was over. (laughs) But the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek on the basis of an indestructible life. You will have representation in the holy place of the Lord as long as the living one lives. As long as the risen Christ maintains his victory over death, which will be forevermore. You will always and ever be reminded Because your name is written, engraved, and something more powerful than stone onyx. 
Your name is graven on his hands. Your name is written on his heart. You can know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid you thence depart. I'm telling you, y'all, he is the great high priest. He presents you guiltless before the throne. Not kind of guiltless. Not sort of guiltless so that if you grovel a little bit, he'll make some exception. No, you are completely and utterly guiltless and spotless before the Lord. And that won't really mean anything to you till you know how bad you've really screwed up. Until you really got some brokenness in your life. Until you really have some regrets and some mistakes that you made. Then to know that Jesus is standing in the gap. Pleading your case because of what he has done for you. So that you can appear spotless and blameless before the Father. That is good news. And not only are we on the priest's shoulders, and not only are we carried on the priest's heart, but holiness is on his mind. Because Christ himself is holy, and his ministry is holy, he makes all of our gifts and all of our works holy and acceptable before the Lord. Isn't that wild? Because we're a mixture of motivations, aren't we? We might do things that they are good looking from outward appearances, but the state of our hearts, we know what it's like to serve while grumbling. We know what it's like to give, but not joyfully, kind of, you know. We know what it's like to offer our, our little works and know that they're so beat up. I know what it's like because I do it every Sunday. My little beat up works, but you know what? The beauty of the priesthood is that the Lord no more denies accepting your little efforts on his behalf than any of you deny those little pictures that your kids bring you. Their drawings, that sometimes the colors get outside the lines. Sometimes it's just a big blob of brown because they've painted with every bit of the colors. It's indistinguishable. And what do you do? You got to work on that art. You got to get better, right? Please, I hope none of y'all do that. No, you put it up on your refrigerator. You put that brown blob up on your refrigerator and you delight in it. Oh, thank you. Oh, I am so happy. Thank you. I like it. I like it. Thank That's what the Father does with your works, <laughs> with your offerings. They're beat up, y'all. God's not sitting back like, whoa, impressive. No, the great high priest is fixing that up because he's holy and he renders your offerings holy to the Father. That's beautiful. So guess what? You can give up your perfectionism and stop waiting to contribute until you have it just right. It will never be just right in this life. It won't be. I don't care how good you are, how smart you are, how gifted you are. Your gifts are always going to be tainted. But it's all good. Because you have a great high priest who accepts. He makes your, your offerings acceptable. So now, as I close, what does all this mean? You might say, oh, wow, that was, that, well, that was good. That's good to know. Well, you know, it's nice to be able to make some sense out of Exodus 28. That didn't really make sense to me before. But so what? Here's what. The Lord has called us a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. 
we see in the New Testament, in, in, in the books of Peter, we are now represented as a continuation. We've been grafted in with Israel. So now we share in that priestly ministry that Israel was to have to all the nations. Now we have been joined to the community of God and we have priestly responsibilities. In other words, we're supposed to be priesting for our neighbors. And what does a priest do? Priests represent God to the people. And a priest represents the people to God. In other words, it's evangelism, it's mission, but also the priest carries the people on his shoulders before the Lord. Now look, you might not have a lot of different gifts, but you can pray. You can pray for your neighbors. And not just one of those like, you know, oh Lord bless the neighborhood, amen, right? No, as you are remembered by name, Remember your neighbors by name. Father, I pray that you would work in the lives of Jason and Tiffany Tyler. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with all the things they got going on in their lives right now. That you would be near to them. Lord, would you be with Mr. Gregory and Miss Karen as they are living their lives and heading into their older years? Would you help them to know that you are their God and they are your people and would that set them free and give them joy? Father, would you be with Antoine and Marshall and Mr. Ball and Miss D? Would you be with my neighbors and help me to represent your goodness and your grace and your mercy to them? You're representing your neighbors to, to God. And as the opportunity allows you are called to represent your God to your neighbors. Regardless of what they may think about God or spirituality or Christianity, this is the priestly ministry, y'all. We carry them on our hearts. We love our neighbors. But also as a priestly people, holiness is to be on our mind. We were set apart for the Lord's holy purposes. And so let's live into that. Let's assume this priestly ministry. Why? Because of the power and the beauty of the priestly ministry of Jesus that continues on to us at this very moment. Do you know that at this very moment, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sits at the right hand of the Father as a real human being, representing you, a priest who will never die, a priest whose ministry will never be exhausted, knowing that your Savior is priesting for you is what drives you and sustains you in the work of priesting for your neighbors. This is one of salvation's greatest hits. May we never exclude from our thinking the great representative, the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And may it shape our spirituality when we fail, when it comes time to thinking about service, when it comes time to thinking about our relationship to our neighbors, this priestly ministry should shape our spirituality and our sense of self. So let's inhabit that this week and going forward. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.